in your Bible today. I'd like to turn to the book of Acts, chapter number four. I went by Brother Brother Curry a while ago, and he said, and you have to know Brother Curry now. You have to know how he thinks and what he, how he talks. He said, I'm waiting for you to preach one of them 40,000 foot sermons again. We're trying to get over that last one that I preached about 10 years ago, Brother Curry, so we'll have to slip up on that kind, all right? Uh, For you folks who are visitors and don't know what I'm talking about, several years ago I was off on a revival meeting and come back about half mad about something, got completely in the flesh and preached about two hours. And somebody said, man, if them's the kind of sermons he gets at 31,000 feet, we need some more of them. All right. (laughs) Jesus said, I will build my church. Our theme this year is I will build my church. This is not my church. This is the Lord's church. Everything on this property. All the properties, every paper clip, every piece of equipment belongs to Christ. Nobody around here owns anything except the Lord. This is his church. Thank God for that. Amen. It is done what it has done in the past 25 years, not because of me. Or because of you. God has done it in spite of most of us. Ain't God good? If you educated folk, isn't God marvelous? I'm glad I've just been sitting around here riding the boat, enjoying the blessings. And this year, we want to make the church, His church, more important and significant in your individual life. We want you to see the importance of your attendance in every service. Not only the importance of that to you, but the importance of you being here for the rest of us. If you don't know what I'm talking about, read my article in the bulletin. For the past Four to five weeks I've been writing on the sevenfold sin of missing church. Amen. Somebody said, you mean you're writing an article in the bulletin? Some folks are slow. It takes them 26 years to find out. I will build my church. I want to speak to you today on this thought. What makes a great church? Acts 4, verse 33. I will get my text from that if if you'll allow me today. Acts 4 and verse 33. The Bible says, And with great power, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. 
I would say if a church has great power and in exhibiting and experiencing great grace, it might be a great church. Come on now, get with me because uh, the Mavericks won. Everybody ought to be happy today. I think Duke lost, isn't that right, Rob? I don't know. Private joke. In our text, please be informed that this is the only church in existence when this is written. Please be reminded, Jesus only started one church. Not several. Jesus said, I will build my church. And I believe with all my heart, this church is the only one is that is in existence at this time. And so thusly, I think this would be a tremendous example for the Joshua Baptist Church in trying to become a greater church than it is at this moment. If you were to ask any missionary, any evangelist, any preacher that has ever come to this place, I would say they would recommend your church highly for anybody to attend. They have never been embarrassed when they leave. But I want you to know, this was a great church because, number one, of great power and great grace. And what makes a great church, to many preferences would be different. For instance, some would like a big church. Folks like a big church so they can get among a lot of folks and hide. And brag about what they used to do from the church they came from. They like a big church because there's not many demands on them because they just get lost in the crowd. Then others might prefer a small church. I've heard folks say, I like a small spiritual church. Well, that's kind of a a, a weird uh, estimation because... Anything that is spiritual is reproducing. And now you might want to be a member of a small dead church. Uh, You might want to be a member of maybe a city church. You know, folks look at Brother Jim and says that our folks are rednecks. But I don't think folks from Indiana are rednecks, are they? What are they from Indiana? A what? What's a Hoosier? Well, I know what a redneck is. I'd rather be a redneck and know what it is as a Hoosier not know what it is, wouldn't you? But some folks have preferences. They like a, 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 a city church and some folk like country churches. But I thank God this church has a cross section of a bunch of hicks, rednecks, Hoosiers, and whatever else. Somebody said years ago, jealousy, they were jealous to their hilt. They said the only thing at Joshua Baptist Church is a bunch of coon hunters and rednecks. (laughs) 
So I took Terry Hayes uh, coon hunting one night. He said, I'll be a redneck. (laughs) Let me ask you something. How do you know if you're a member of a country church? Some others suggested that you are a member of a country church if the call of worship is you all come. Somebody said you might be a member of a country church if the preacher says, I'd like to ask Bubba to pray and three people stand up. (laughs) I, I really don't know, you know. You might be a member of a country church if the opening of deer season is recognized as a church holiday. <laughs> Can I have an amen? <laughs> you know, I don't know what kind of church you prefer, but I, I'm thinking maybe you might be in a country church. <laughs> you might be a member of a country church if a member requests to be buried in his pickup truck. Because he says, I've never been a hole this thing couldn't get me out of. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, you know. You might be a member of the country church if the pastor for the last 100 years has not had to buy any vegetables or canned goods. You might be a member of the country church if the singing group is known as the OK Corral. I don't know. You might be a member of the country church if You got tobacco juice down both sides of the church van. (laughs) Or you caught in Burleson throwing firecrackers out the window. (laughs) Think about it, Jim. (laughs) I don't know. You might be a member of the country church if the church directory has no last names. (laughs) Watch out, Terry. You could be a member of the, bad, of the country church if they call baptism Brandon. <laughs> you might be a member of the country church if finding lost sheep is literal. <laughs> you might be a member of the country church if the high notes on the organ cause all the dogs out in the front yard to start howling. I don't know. But you know you think about things like that. Might be a member of the country church if if folks start asking what kind of fish the little boy had, bass or catfish. I don't know. What you might term as a great church. But I think we can get a good recipe in the word of God from the church In Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 3, and Acts 4. First four chapters of the book of Acts. I'd like to ask you to read that when you get home this afternoon. And I'd like for you to see what will happen when we begin to be the kind of church that the Lord Jesus intended us to be. Let me read you just a few verses. Verse 32 now in your text. Verse 32. And the multitude of them that believe were of one heart... And one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power 
gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles were surnamed Barnabas, which has been interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Could I please suggest just three or four reasons why I believe that this church was a great church? Number one, let me give it to you. It's so important. They had a great purpose. They had a great purpose. Could I say that again? They had a great purpose. I believe on this earth, God gifts people with different abilities. This fella is a tremendous saddle maker. This one right here. This fella, there's not a better carpenter anywhere I know in the state of Texas. All this woodwork done in here. I did it while he watched. (laughs) But Billy can't take that to heaven. You're not going to need little saddles in heaven. There's got to be a greater purpose. There's got to be a greater purpose for our Lord. Getting on the golden staircase of glory and walking down and getting off as a little bitty baby in Bethlehem's manger. Raised in obscurity and poverty and persecution and there being nailed to a cross to save you, to redeem you, to get you involved in his big purpose. You know what's wrong with our church? No purpose. The church has a purpose, but too few folk are involved in that purpose. You say, I've got a job. Great. What in eternity is your job affecting? I'm not talking about just a place together on Sunday where we can all get together and sing all to Jesus. I surrender until tomorrow when I go to work and I'm going to take it all back. What is your eternal, godly, omnipotent purpose in life? Great people with great purposes build great churches. These folk had a great purpose. Could I please show you that purpose? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And most of you can quote it. Most of you know it. But Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. Jesus' last 
words to his disciples, which is the church, which made up the total body of believers at that time. And Jesus called the church together and he said, I am going to give you the one only purpose for existing. Verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye, therefore teach all nations. Look up here. I don't think you need to be a nuclear engineer to understand. Jesus wants all of us to go ye. Go ye and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. Lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. They had a purpose. What is your individual purpose in this church? If it's anything other than sharing the gospel, getting mankind saved, getting boys and girls ready for heaven, getting mamas and daddies ready for heaven. If it's any other thing, everything you got is on second dairy plane with God. This church purpose was to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. They had a purpose. Preacher, what's your purpose? For 46 years, it has been to preach the gospel. You say, but preacher, uh, you don't have a job. Oh, I know that. Nothing to it. But I had one when God saved me. And when God saved me, he gave me a purpose for living. And I'm saying to you today, the purpose was in this church's life was to obey God. Let me ask you something, parents. Does it please you more when your children obey you? Well, now Jesus told this crowd, this crowd right here, he said now over in Luke chapter, uh, in chapter number 24 and verse 49, he said, now, gang, I'll tell you what I want you. I want you to tarry in Jerusalem, uh, in the city of Jerusalem, until you be endued with power from on high. Okay. In other words, guys, I don't want you to do one thing. I don't want you to teach a Sunday school class. I don't want you to start a bus route. I don't want you to sing any specials in church. I want you to go to Jerusalem, get in the upper room, shut up, sit down, and wait till you're being dude with power on high. That was their purpose. Their purpose was just to obey God. I said their purpose was just to obey God. Nothing extreme, nothing out of the ordinary, nothing they needed to go to cemetery for, nothing they needed a four-year Bible degree for. Hey, gang, church, I want you to go to Jerusalem and get in that upper room, and I want you to just wait until you're being endued with power from on high. Let me ask you, is there anything wrong with obeying God Is there anything greater than obeying God? 
So they went and they waited and they waited and they waited and they waited and they prayed and they waited and they prayed. And then suddenly there came from heaven a sound of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the place where they were assembled. And they all were filled with the Holy Ghost of God. You think that would change this place any? Well, now, here's the problem. What if God is waiting on all of us to get here at one time? For God to do that around here, he'd have to visit your house on Wednesday night and somebody else's house on Sunday night and somebody else's house. Come on, I need an amen right now. We've got a bunch of disobedient Christians who think it's all right to do what you want to do when you want to do it because it's your purpose that's important, not his. And our church will never be a great church until a bunch of God's people realize we have a God-given purpose on this earth and that is just flat to obey God. That's it. Obedience always precedes power and blessing. I said obedience always precedes power and blessings. And God knows which string to pull to get our attention, if you please. And may I say to you, God says, if you will go up to Jerusalem, wait till you be endued with power from on high. You're going to see something you have never seen before. And the Bible said that all of these disciples begin to speak in a different language. Nobody understood and all of a sudden, everybody said, well, that bunch of Baptists are drunk. Now, Peter did not say that that bunch didn't drink. Be crazy to stand in the Baptist church and say, folk don't drink. Peter just said, they're not drunk because this is the wrong time today to get drunk. And then he cut loose and preached. And he preached and he preached. And the power of God fell. And 3,000 folk got saved. You know why? Not because these guys were extraordinary individuals. They were just like us. From all walks of life. They just believed God. Waited on God. Obeyed God. And God did what he said. I think this town needs a church like that. I think this church needs a town with a church with a purpose. A purpose to win everybody in this town. At least get the gospel to every one of them. And give them a chance to obey and respond to the wonderful word of life. I believe we need a purpose and we need to get back on the purpose. Can anybody say amen? A great church has a great purpose. You say, how long is this sermon? According to how many amens I get. 
Would you agree that a great church has a great purpose? Now, we're not here to feed the hungry, although we do. We're not here to, uh, to uh, 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 solicit uh, uh, the, the down and out, although we do. Now, this year, we'll probably give in excess to $100,000 just benevolence. That is not just families who need it, families who break down, cars that break down, just senior citizens. We'll give over $100,000 this year just, but that's not what God put us here for. God put us here to look at every individual in this city face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, just like I am old Jeff right now, and say, you have any chickens for some? I mean, look at that. If you died today, do you know for sure, 100% sure that you'd go to heaven? That's what God put us here for. God put us here to make the gospel so simple and so easy that the smallest of child or the eldest or the most illiterate or the smartest could respond to the wonderful word of life. Amen. We're not here to... Somebody said, Preacher, your sermons are so simple. Have to be for you to understand them. You say, why don't you use those big words? I don't know any. And the big words I do know, I don't know the definition of them. But I do know Jesus saves. I do know that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all that believe to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I also believe that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I believe that's what we need to do. We, we don't need bless your heart. I believe that as the old colored preacher down in Mississippi said one time when he's preaching at a Southern Baptist convention, ladies and gentlemen, we are God's newsboys and this is God's news. And we're not to throw it on top of the porch so that everybody has to get a ladder and get up there and try to reach it. And we're not to throw it under the porch so that the dogs have to get it. We're to throw it right on the front porch so that everybody can read Jesus saves. That's the purpose. You say, preacher, what's the purpose of this church? It's to get people born again. Tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Hey, this was a great church. Secondly, because they had... Great preaching. Well, now, I'm sorry, you just ain't going to get that right here. Great preaching. Acts 2. Look at this. Acts 2. Acts 2. Verse 14. Oh, Peter. That, oh, that's the guy that used God's name in vain in denying the Lord, you know, just 50 days before this. This is that spineless back ninny that was ashamed of the Lord and denied the Lord three times. You remember that guy? This is the guy that heard the most powerful sermon preached by a three-legged rooster you've ever heard in all your life. You say, how do you know it was three-legged? I don't know. I just seen one in one time. I thought that kind of God would create. Verse 14, but Peter standing up with the eleven, lift up his voice and said unto them, and you read the rest of the sermon. Verse 14 and 15, they're not drunk, as you suppose, saying it is about the third hour of the day, wrong day to get drunk. Verse 16, then he started preaching, and this is that which was spoken by Joel the prophet. It shall come to pass in those days that God will pour out my spirit upon all flesh that happened there at Pentecost. Verse 21, and he said, and it shall come to pass... That whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can I have an amen? 
Hey, this sermon's getting right down. He noticed verse number 22 now. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinant, uh, by the determinant counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Don't you think maybe some of them got mad right about then? Whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because he hath not possible that they should be holding it in. And now notice, if you would please, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. How would you like to have been there and listen to old Peter preach that sermon? Fire coming out of his nose about a foot and a half. Slung his robe about a mile and a half. And then he started to say, Now, when they heard this, verse 37, they were pricked in their heart. You know what preaching will do to you? It'll aggravate you. It'll agitate you. It'll irritate you. Amen. And I wouldn't remember a church where the preacher couldn't at least, every once in a while, make my face turn red. And I would not want to be a member of the church where every once in a while, I might ask myself, I wonder if he's talking to me. And I might want to turn to my wife and say, did you call him last night? They were pricked in their hearts. You see that? They were pricked in their hearts. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? (laughs) And Peter said unto them, repent. That's good, ain't it? Repent. Be baptized. And then verse 41. And they that gladly received his word were baptized. And that same day there was added unto them about three thousand souls. Dear God, what would happen around here if in one service 3,000 folk got saved? You know why this is a great church? Number one, it had a great purpose. Number two, it had great preaching. I think preaching ought to exalt the Savior, edify the saints, and expose sin. You're not going to like it all the time. But I'll tell you what. If you'll trace this crowd. You'll see this church had 3,000 saved. In verse 41. And in Acts chapter number 4. In verse 4. 5,000 got saved. And you look in chapter 5. In verse 14. They quit counting. They just said multitudes. You know why? Because they had a great purpose. And they had great preaching Would everybody say amen to that? And verse number 33, they had great power. Great power. I'm kind of leery. You know, I think what we need in the day in which we live, and I know it's old-fashioned, but I think we need some Pentecostal power. I'm not talking about speaking in tongues, turning flips, doing didos, and spitting bubbles. 
I'm talking about power, bless your heart, that'll invade uh, 3,000 homes and yank folks out of the clutches of hell and get them saved in one service. I think we need that old Red Sea kind of power that when we are confronted with the difficulties and the waters and the seas of adversity, that the power of Almighty God can split the water and God's people can walk over victorious. I think we need some power, bless your heart, the kind of power that'll give the lions lockjaw. And old Daniel could sing, I could have stayed all night. We need power, bless your heart, that will thrill the people at the fiery furnace when they look in and they see not three, not bound, but four walking around loose in the fire. We need that kind of power. And you look at me like that sucker, that crazy old man is crazy. And you live a life of defeat. And down in the mouth, so broke you need a cosigner to pay cash. Blaming everybody in the world except couldn't be your fault out of the will of God. I know that. And I preach and almost have a heart attack. And you look at me like a calf looking at a new goat and say, that guy's crazy. Dear God, I might be crazy, but I'd like to see it one time. I'd like to see the power of God fall on this place that just makes some of you bald-headed guys grow hair. Amen. Some of you toothless folk could spit out your dentures, bless God, and God just give you some new tooths. You say, why? I don't know why. I just like to see something different. I'm tired of Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, ordinary program. Do it like this. Get out. Let's go home. Because we got a ball game to watch. Dear God, this was a great church because it had a great purpose, great preaching, and great power, bless your heart. This is the same power that turned the water to wine. The same power that healed multitudes. The same power that fed the 5,000. Yes, that's the kind of power we need in this place. Let's not settle for the ordinary, bless God. Jesus said, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? God ain't going to do this or that. How much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Oh, I want this to be a great church. To be a great church, it's got to have a great purpose. Amen. It's got to have great power. But they had also great persecution. That's what we don't want. My Bible said, all that will live godly shall suffer persecution. And ladies and gentlemen, if you don't believe America's heading in that direction, you better listen to the administration in Washington, D.C. 
My son has spent thousands of dollars fighting the state of Tennessee trying to take his tax exemption from his church. Literally thousands of dollars in court many, many days trying to say that the church does not deserve a tax exemption. Hey, this is not Russia I'm talking about. If you want to have a bad day, let the government start after you. You start getting them little off-colored yellow envelopes with a little pinky window in them. And let me tell you something, folk. If something don't happen in this country, it won't be long till I cannot preach against sin from this pulpit because I will be racial profiling folk. And what's going to happen when they say I can't, I'm going to do it anyhow. And when they arrest me, I'm going to tell them, you put me up to it. When they start telling me that I cannot preach against same-sex marriage, and we're going to have some problems. Because if I can't preach against that, then I can't preach against fornication. I can't preach against adultery. And I cannot preach against any kind of sin outside the confines of marriage. And then we're in trouble in America because our morals has gone down the tubes. And I will not be able to preach anything about morality. How many churches today are protecting or changing the names to protect the guilty? You know what? They said, fellas, don't you preach in that name anymore. And Peter and John looked him in the face. Said, you judge whether it be right if we obey God or man. And then he said, we cannot but preach and teach what the Lord has commanded us to preach and to teach. And I want to tell you something. In a lot of places today, you equate your membership to my name and it's distasteful. Oh, you remember that right wing group? Oh, you're a member of that fundamental group. Oh, you're a member of that, whoa, of that spiritual cult down there. Oh, you're a member of that crowd that don't get involved in the ecumenical bowel, I mean ecumenical movement. Oh, you're a member of that crowd. You, oh, hey, hey, it won't be long, but I'll tell you one thing. A great church has a great purpose. A great church has great preaching. And a great church will all, hey, always have great persecution. It started, if you please, you can look at it if you like. It started in Acts chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. Historically, historically, Christians have always been persecuted. Eleven of the twelve disciples died a horrific death. And my Bible said, if you live godly, you will suffer persecution. And you're suffering some of it right now because it's 1210. You say, how do you know that? 
Brother Pickett's cell phone. Whoop, I hit something. That thing went back to 1110. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. You want to be a member of a great church? A great church has a great purpose. Great preaching. Great power. Great persecution. And great people. Somebody called me yesterday. Preacher, how much money did you get on February the 2nd? I said, none of your business. He said, what were you shooting for? I said, the sky's the limit around our place. <laughs> Preacher, what were you offering on, sec- on February uh, the, uh, what day was it, Jim? Fifth. I said, well, I think our cash offering was $139,000 cash and $18,000 promise. And all of that's coming in. So I guess our offering for that day was a hundred and fifty some thousand dollars cash. Great people. Not a great preacher. Great people. Great people. This church was great because. In verse 32, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but had, they had all things common. If I could put one word in that text, it would be willingness. Peter was willing to leave his net his livelihood, his very means of existence. Peter was willing to leave all and follow our Lord. Peter and John, James and John, left their business in daddy's hands and followed the Lord. Matthew said, Nobody likes a tax collector anyhow. I think I'll become a preacher. That's like jumping out of the pot into the fire. But Matthew was willing to leave his job for a purpose to obey God. James and John was willing to leave their profession and change their profession to obey God because they had a purpose. You say, preacher, that's crazy. Barnabas in the text sold his house and land. Do you believe the Bible? Barnabas so fell in love with our Lord and so fell in love with the purpose of God and so involved in the purpose of God. He went home, sold the house, sold the land and gave it to the church and said, here, take care of folks that need it worse than I do. Great people build great churches. Stephen was stoned to death on the streets of Jerusalem. 
stoned to death. All he'd have to do is recant that Jesus Christ was the Son of God that arose from the dead. Recant and the law will be all right. Stephen said, not on your life, buddy. There's something more important than me living. And that's the purpose for which God has put me on this earth. Great people. Great people that have great sacrifice build great churches. Well, I thought this would be a better sermon. It's not going over well. But it takes a lot of people to great to build a great church. And one of the greatest persons I know, and I write him a lot, is Brother Pickett. He is sold out 100% to Jesus Christ. Me and Jim's trying. But, you know, it's kind of hard to get by, by Brother Pickett's office. Because he's always in our sleep. He's sold out. If I had time, I could tell you about some of the greatest people in this world, members of this church, here in this morning. This does not happen because of me. It happened because a great God has a great purpose and puts together a group of great people. You want to be a great church? Get in on a great purpose. Get in on some great power. Listen to some puny preaching. Apply it to your life. And become a great person for Jesus Christ. Amen. I got seven more points. going to close with this one. They had a great praise. Acts chapter 2. The last two or three verses. I want you to show this and I'm done. You know. Church. Please let's refrain from dragging into church, collapsing in a pew, and say, now I dare you, Wolf Bar, to bless me. If you bless me, I'll get mad. If I wave a hand or move a toe, I ain't coming back. Please, let's refrain from discouraging everybody that sits around us. If you ain't got nothing to shout about, come to my office. I've got some super boople bubble gum. You take one bite of that and you just want to blow up and praise everybody. Or here's a good one. If you come to church and you feel like you don't like being here, run around the building about four times. Then when you come in the auditorium, you you look like you're excited. (laughs) Now, the reason for all the fuss in chapter number four is for the miracle that took place in chapter number three. Peter and John has just healed the man sitting at the gate called Beautiful. A man that had never felt anything from here down all of his life. Could be in his 40s, but from here down, nothing had ever worked. No feeling. And one day on his way to church, Peter and John walked by this man. 
And this man is standing there with a little cup, probably. You've seen him begging for alms. Sitting on the sidewalk there, he sees Peter and John, and he says, Nishai, Nishai, Nishai. You say, what's that mean? It's Hebrew for, hey, you tightwad, would you give me something? He didn't have a sign that says, I'm lazy, will not work, I need a beer. Alms for the poor, alms for the poor. Here's living proof that the first church in Jerusalem was Baptist. You want a verse? When it comes time for an offering, they said, silver and gold have I none. If that ain't Baptist, they ain't nothing Baptist. Many of you testified to that a little while ago that you're Baptist. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, arise and walk. And Peter reached down and took that man by the hand. And just give a small yank. A special purpose. With great power. With great preaching. And the Bible said immediately. For the first time in all of his life. That man felt something warm below his waist. As the blood, for the first time ever in his life, began to circulate freely down his leg. And began to ignite the tissues and the cells in his leg. Can you imagine the burning and the tingling that's going on? As for the first time that blood began to circulate down his thighs and past his knees and down into the calves and even to the end of the toe. Have you ever got your feet so cold they were just numb? You get around the fire and they start warming up and it just feels so good. You just tinky. <laughs> that happened. And the Bible said immediately he received strength. Strength. Read now. And the Bible said... And the man went walking and leaping and praising God in the temple. And verse 8 said, verse 9 says, And the people saw him praising God. That'll build a great church. If when you come, you realize you've got a God big enough to praise And big enough to think. And wonderful enough to worship. And all of God's people said. Man I want to be a member. Of a great church.